0: You are listening to the Coggan Avenue Baptist Church podcast. In the midst of loneliness and dissatisfaction, Coggin wants to help you learn God's truth in a supportive community that pursues a full life in Jesus. If you want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org. We got work to do, church. If you brought a copy of God's word with you, let's open together in Judges chapter 9. Judges chapter 9. Just a reminder of why we need that all-sufficient merit for our own. We are looking at the depths of depravity because of man's choice to sin at an all-time low in, in Judges chapter 9. We're looking at the story of Abimelech. And what we see in this story are choices. Choices that have consequences. Some choices that you make have consequences that are great because you're following Christ and it brings them glory. But some choices like we see in Judges chapter 9 that we make are destructive because they're for ourselves in sin. And God's judgment meets our sin every time. And I think we need... Chapters like this just to remind us that we have like 35,000 choices that we make a day. And we need God's help to make right choices all the day long. We sing a song in the first servant, first service uh, called I Need Thee Every Hour. I think sometimes we sing that song and we think, I need thee every day. It doesn't say that. It says I need thee every hour. It could be I need thee every minute. Because it's every minute of every hour of every day that there's choices. And those choices sometimes have unintended painful consequences. Especially when they're made in sin. So Abimelech is going to be a lesson for us and some terrible choices. And what I want us to see throughout Judges chapter 9, we're never going to be able to read every verse together. It's too long. I encourage you to go read it on your own this week. But what we're going to see is that man's selfish choice to sin always results in God's righteous choice to judge him. Let's talk about choices. The first choice I I think I see that God can help us make is is the choice to not follow generational sin. We come into the story in Judges chapter 9 in a generational sin scenario. Gideon was the father. He fell short in pride because of the power that he wanted and he passed that sinful pride and the desire for power onto his son Abimelech that took it to new depths that his father could not imagine. Generational sin is a real thing. I see it in my own life. I see it all the time. But let me help you this morning. Just because it's real doesn't mean it has to define you. You do not have to follow the sinful path and the sinful steps of your parents or your grandparents. God has given you free will. He's given you freedom in the gospel. In fact, we just think about it, he gave us his merit so that we could choose to follow in his righteousness. Last week we saw how far Gideon fell for God's intended plan in his life. He trusted not in God but in his own ability and his own pride consumed him and it caused him to try to take for himself the position of high priest. you remember that? He made the ephod and the people worshipped it. That didn't work. He tried to make himself the king, though God says you're not qualified for that I'm not calling you that. He tried to take it for himself. So now we see Abimelech follow in that same path. I think back last week, I'm like, well, at least Gideon tried to veil his attempt to be a king. He said, no, I don't want it. But then he acted like that. Do you remember that? <laughs> Abimelech, because he followed in the ger- generational sin unchecked, It got worse, as it always will, by the way. It'll always get worse in the second and third generations if not checked. He doesn't even veil his ruling desire. It's unveiled, and he tries to seize the throne for himself. And so he goes back home to a city called Shechem, which is where he's from, and he meets his mom there, and he gains her influence, as sons often do, even if they're in sin, and says, Mom, I want to rule. So they gather the elders of the city of Shechem together, and he basically tells them, hey, guys, listen, I want to be the king. I didn't really come out and say it like that. He says, would you rather have 70 people rule over you? That's the number of sons Gideon had outside of himself. Think about that just for a second. 70 sons, how do he get 70 sons? It's not coming from one wife, it's coming from a multitude of wives, which is what God did not desire for man and woman anyway. So that's even a sinful thing. But he says, hey, would you rather have Gideon's other 70 sons rule you? Or you just want one guy to rule you? How about that guy be me? And I don't know if it's because of his great speech or his whimsical personality. The people of Shechem said, yeah, we'll go for that. And so he places himself. They allow him to serve them as their king when God should have been their ruler. And they did it. And I didn't realize how big of a deal this was until this week. They did it in the city of Shechem. Why is that a big deal? Because Shechem was a city where God's faithfulness had been seen and celebrated for generations. And now the people of God turn turned away from God in that same city. It was Genesis chapter 12 when God told Moses, not Moses, his name was Abraham, told Abraham, I'm going to give this land into your hands. And we see later when they're following Joshua, as they cross the Jordan, they come to Shechem and Shechem was the city they celebrated. God's faithfulness fulfilled to Abraham and they set up stones, and they worship God there. In that same city, they turn on God generations later. I was thinking about that this week, and I was reading Tim Keller, and Tim Keller said, that would be like reinstituting slavery on the battlefield of Gettysburg. How offensive would that be? Like reinstituting the Jim Crow laws in Montgomery, Alabama. Highly offensive, unthinkable, but that's what they do. They say, yeah, we want you, Abimelech, to be our sinful king. See, Abimelech has taken the self-worship of his father, he's taken that baton of such worship and he's running to places that his father, Gideon, never wanted him to go. In expressing their support for Abimelech, they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to give you, se- I think, yeah, 70 pieces of silver to help you in your campaign to become the king. What's interesting is where this silver comes from. It comes from the temple of Baal. Literally, they called this temple Baal bareth, and the 70 pieces of silver came from there. That term means Baal covenant. I think that's right on. That's exactly what Abimelech is signing himself up for. A covenant with the pagan god and the pagan god's people, when he should have been keeping the covenant with the god of the universe and his people. Truly, as was stated in chapter 8, we get to see it lived out in Judges chapter 9, Abimelech and the people of God had forgotten the Lord their God. We've talked about that phrase before. They they forgot the Lord. Let's rehash that just for a second. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden they had early onset of dementia, right? Or Alzheimer's. They didn't like, who's God? Who's the Lord? No, they knew who he was in their minds, but they failed to follow him in their hearts. And so their actions were disobedient to his glory and to his name. They chose to ignore the will of God which says, do not worship false idols, to fulfill their own desires, to do what was right in their own eyes. Now that, as preachers say, will preach. That's what we do. We forget the Lord our God. Anytime that we know who he is and we know what he says and we say, you know, I want to make my own personal lifestyle choice. I'm I'm just going to kind of redefine life for me, not according to God, but what is right in my own eyes. We live this way. It's cultural Christianity in America today. I was thinking about forgetting God, and I thought, you know, sometimes when I ask my children to do the dishes, they have some forgetting, but not really. Like, uh, you know, on the first day, I'd be like, hey, can y'all clean the dishes? And they look me in the eyes. As I'm looking them in the eyes right now, right? They shake their head and some, sometimes they even say, yes, sir. So I go off and I'm having a good part of the day. A couple hours later, I come back or the next day, I come back to the kitchen. What do I see? Dishes. And so I ask the simple question, why, why didn't you do the dishes? And what's the answer? Moms and dads, you hear it all the time, don't you? Oh, I forgot. Did you? Did you forget every time you walked by the sink full of dishes on your way to watch your show and to hang out with your friends? No, they didn't forget. They intentionally ignored my command to do what is right in their own eyes. We are no further detached from Israel today as they were from God then. It's easy to forget the Lord and to follow your own ways. This is what Abimelech and the rest of the people are doing. And so he takes this money that illustrates how far he had fallen in his forgetfulness of God, and and he basically buys hired henchmen. Uh, The New Living Translation calls these men that he hires troublemakers. And this is hard to even say. Abimelech takes the money, hires these troublemakers, captures his 70 other brothers, Gideon's sons, and the Bible tells us probably one at a time, he slaughtered them on a rock. Do you see the progression? Gideon killed his own people because they wouldn't support him out of anger at the end of his life. Abimelech takes that a step further. He murders his own brothers to keep them from maybe not supporting him in the future. And don't shy away from this scene like it's on a piece of paper and detached from you. Sit in it for a second like you're watching a horror movie that's real. What does it look like to murder your own brothers one at a time on a rock? Blood is what it means. Anguish. Screaming. Hours and hours of agony from your own family yet you don't stop until the last one is dead. He killed all of them except for one. And he'll have a role to play. After this horror movie of a moment is over, all of his brothers but one are dead, Shechem then says, Abimelech, you can be our king. Gideon did a similar thing, Abimelech took it further. So yes, he chose to follow his, he chose to follow his father's path in disobeying God, seizing power, manipulating the people, and murder. But here's my question for you today. Did he have to follow that path? No. Yes, it was generational sin. Yes, he learned from his father. Yes, it was available to him. But no, he did not have to follow the sinful paths of his father, which allows me to tell you today, you do not have to follow the wickedness passed down to you from generations before you. We live in a country full of sons and daughters like Abimelech, children who have allowed themselves to follow in the sinful footsteps of their mothers and their fathers. You're like, what kind of sins do you see, pastor? What about the sin of abandonment? Let's just stay with the A's before we even get to the B's. Adultery, anger, alcoholism, addiction. We could go through the whole alphabet and keep listing sin after sin that sons and daughters learn from and follow in their own lives. It's not a question of is there a sin cycle, if you will, passed down to the next generation. Here's the real question that you want to ask yourself. Pastor, can I break that sin cycle? Well, I got good news for you today. Yes, you can. And I thought of lots of ways that I've seen God do this in my family and, and in my own personal life. And I just don't have time to share all the practical steps. So I said, I'm going to bullet down the one. Two words. If you want to be delivered from generational sin, Jesus Christ. You're like, that's kind of a simplistic answer. No, it's not. Racism, addiction, adultery, anger was attached to me like a chain. But Christ came to me as a child, sought me out, found me, saved me, gave me worth and a new purpose, and like that, the chains of sin that were passed down to me from generations past have been delivered from me, not in my power, but his. So if you're in Christ, why are you allowing the chains to be connected? It doesn't have to be. I've literally... Day by day, by the way, it's not an easy process. I love Christ to live through me so those sins don't control me. He is the X factor. Trust in Christ. He paid the payment for every sin on the cross. Yes, even generational sin. And he can deliver you the same way he's been doing for generations. Not only do we need to reject the sin handed down to us through generations past, I think that's a great word, but also I think there's a choice in leadership. We we talked about it a little bit last week. I want to rehash it because it's rehashed in the text. Look at verses 7 through 15. We not only need to be cautious when choosing a leader to follow, we need to be cautious in allowing leaders to influence us. Not only was it Abimelech that made terrible decisions in this chapter, it was the people that allowed him to be in that position after he murdered his own brothers. He did not have the call of God to be a king, yet they chose him to be their ruler. They should have been following God. He did not have the character qualifications, neither did Gideon, he had a lot less character qualifications, yet they said, we want you and we're asking you to be our king. Here's where Jotham comes in. Look at the next part of this story. Jotham sees what's happening in the city of Shechem and his brothers are dead. He probably can still see the place where their blood is drying on the ground. He says, this is crazy. So the surviving brother goes up on a hillside and starts speaking judgment over the city of Shechem for following a wicked leader like Abimelech. I just thought, you know what? Maybe there's somebody in this service today that sees an injustice at work, that sees an injustice at school, and you need to go to the hillside. You need to go to the principal's office. You need to go to your manager's office and start to say something about it. He has the courage probably going to lose his life. Jotham goes out to the hillside and he he starts telling a story about three trees that asked for a leader. Listen to how the story goes. He goes, there's these three trees. They all wanted a leadership. So the first leader they asked for was an olive tree. Nah, the olive tree declined. The second tree they asked to rule over them, these trees says, well, maybe a fig tree will rule over us. The fig tree says, I'll pass. No, thank you. And then they go outside of the tree family and they ask a vine, a grapevine to rule over them. The vine says, no, I won't do that. These are just examples of, uh, could have been good leaders that could have produced good fruit. We eat olives, we eat grapes, we enjoy figs, but because they couldn't find a character driven leader, he says these three trees, they see a bush called a bramble. You know what that is? It's just a thorn bush, (laughs) y'all. And the thorn bush says, "Yeah, tell you what. I've never been asked to lead before, sure. I'll be your leader, I'll be your ruler." And what do you think the tree's got from a thorn bush? Thorns, y'all. I've been out in the woods around here. It is thorny. Everything out here's trying to bite you or poke you. And I got caught in this thorn bush last night. It went through my boot, it started to tear my pants. I've been picking it out this morning. What's a thorn bush good for? Not much, except for maybe gathering up and burning. That's the point of the story. Abimelech is the bramble. He's the thorn bush. He's not good for following, only to be gathered up and to be removed from the land. But they said, we want you, the thorn bush, to rule us. And so like a thorn, all he brought was hurt and hopelessness and pain, not hope and healing like a good leader would. And I I thought about this week and I, I thought about the sins of Abimelech as a thorny and prickly bush. And they were many. Think through them with me. And ask yourself, how could he be the leader? He had selfish ambition. My pastor, is ambition bad? No, no. As long as your ambition only guides you to soar as high as God has planned for you. Does that make sense? But as soon as you start crafting wings for yourself, As soon as you start trying to manipulate wind, you've gone off track and now you're doing it for you. This is Gideon. He started manufacturing his own power and his own ambition and he coveted, literally, the position of king. And therefore, what did he do? He broke the last commandment. You shall not covet. He was also an idolater. Not only worshiping Baal and taking money from the the temple of Baal, but he worshiped himself. And isn't that the idol that most of us are worshiping today? There's probably not some little wooden idol on your bedside table that you kneel down before every day. If there is, you need to burn it and get rid of it and go back to God. But it's probably the person in the mirror. Through your pride and your power that you're worshiping today. So in that, he broke the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, even if that God is you. He was a murderer. He had hatred in his heart, which Jesus defines in... The Sermon on the Mount is the same as murder. And then he actually followed through with that hated heart and he murdered his own brothers and even his own countrymen. At the root of all of his sin was pride. And how could a man of such poor character lead God's people? I'll tell you how they allowed themselves to be blinded to his character flaws because of what they thought they could gain from his whimsical and powerful leadership. Let that sit be careful who you ask to lead you in the church family that's me i know i'm talking about myself and be careful who you allow to lead you out in the world either as a nation or in your job force if you have an opportunity to choose a leader and some vote or some capacity to rule over you be careful Look at their character qualifications over their personality and whimsical attitude. And we've got lots of examples in scripture. You can look to Jesus himself. Nobody will measure up, or they, but are they trying to chase Jesus? Look at their character qualifications like we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. You say, well, pastor, that's great for the church. and We have the guidance. Some churches don't use it. We do praise God for that. But what about the leaders that I can't vote on? (laughs) My boss that I didn't get a vote on that, and he's not a great boss. Well, you you may not be able to change your leader, but maybe you could. There's other jobs. I just want to put that out there. But you can keep yourself from being influenced negatively by their negative leadership. I've known churches and companies and small businesses When they look for a leader, they look for a pulse. And then they ask themselves a question. Can that person serve? Will they serve? That's not the right question. The right question is, are they qualified to serve? Do they have the character of a, a leader? Go to the scriptures for that. And here's the deal. If we go through the character qualifications, we look for somebody and we can't find somebody, don't have a leader for that season. Borrow one. I just think it's, it's a great lesson to be careful who we allow not only to lead us, but to rule over us. Let's move on. Look at verses 16 through 21. Some of the consequences of the sinful choices made by Shechem. Finally, we see that Abimelech ends up destroying Shechem and Shechem ends up destroying Abimelech. To me, this just shows how Evil destroys evil. This happens in our world today. If our choices are made with integrity and in truth, we have nothing to worry about in the choice. We should rejoice in our choice. That's what Jotham said to the city of Shechem. Listen, if you think you made the right choice in Abimelech and he treated Gideon and his family well, you're good to go. But you didn't. And so therefore, he's going to destroy you and you're going to destroy him. And the decisions we make, if we don't make them with truth and integrity, Why would we expect anything in our lives except God's judgment? It always surprises me at myself when I'm living in sin and I start whining about, how come God is not blessing me? Really, Todd? Or I see people in the world that are living in sin, whether it's addiction or an adulterous relationship outside of marriage, and they, as a couple or as an individual, they go, well, why isn't God blessing my life? Why isn't God's favor on my relationship? It's really not that complicated. We cannot expect God's blessing when we're living in open disobedience to him. It may be an unintended consequence, but it's a consequence that we made for ourselves. As we move into the last part of the story through the rest of the chapter, we we get to see even in a deeper deeper way because they did not choose God, the consequences of their sin. So my last call today is very simple. Choose God. When you have a choice available to you this week, choose God. When it's at work, you're at school with friends, choose God or his perfectly timed judgment just might be the last consequence you receive on this earth. The story just gets wild here. God put an evil spirit between Abimelech and Shechem and between Shechem and Abimelech and though it took three years, we get to see Jotham's pronouncement on evil destroying evil come to fruition. Shechem got tired of an evil leader just like you will. And so they start trying to find ways to discredit him. They have enemies at the gate that are robbing people as they come in. So visitors would come to the city. Are you kidding me? This is the city that Abimelech rules? How can the king not even keep people safe in his own city? And eventually people try to rise to power to overthrow him. And so they allow this guy named Gaul to rise to power and Gaul says, little preacher joke here, has enough Gaul to try to overthrow the king and he's at the temple and he gets drunk one night and he's drinking liquid courage. I don't recommend that, by the way. He gets enough courage to gather men together and says, tomorrow we're going to overthrow King Abimelech. And he puts his plan in place, but then the king had an informant, the mayor and the general of the city said, hey, king, there's some bad stuff happening. You may want to, you know, hide outside the city and when you see Gaul's army come up, you'll be ready for him. That's what Abimelech does. He waits outside the city. Gaul comes to the gates. He thinks, I'm about to be a king. This is going to be exciting. What does Abimelech do? He meets him at the gates and utterly destroys him. And the king's general kind of looks at the guy, Gaul, who had this idea to overthrow the king. He goes, how does that boasting feel now? I just like that little piece in the story. (laughs) Just be real careful about boasting and bragging. It comes to backfire on him. Anyways, Abimelech overthrows the usurping attempt And the people of the city, this is where I wanted to get to. They're like, okay, well, that didn't work. We thought Gaul would be better than Abimelech, but he got whooped. So I guess we're just going to serve under this wicked king again. And they go back to work the next morning. But Abimelech, his anger is not satisfied. So he waits in the fields and he murders his own people as they go to work. He brings his hired hands and the forces that he's accrued for himself in the three years as a leader. And he attacks his hometown. He destroys the city of Shechem, killing men and women and children in the streets. They all, the last of the leaders, they hide in the temple and says, I'll find you there. He burns the temple to the ground and the Bible tells us that over a thousand men and women were murdered by their own ruler in the temple. He's still not satisfied. He destroys his own hometown and he goes on to the next city, Thebes. And he does the same thing. He starts killing people in the streets. I mean, think about how wicked this man is now. He starts killing people in the open. They all run, not to the temple this time, but they had a big tower in town. He goes, that's fine. I'll catch you in the tower and I'll burn it down as well. And he goes to burn down the tower. And it was in that moment, he probably thought it wasn't gonna come. It was in that moment when Jotham probably thought, God, is your wrath ever gonna show up? Through the hands of a woman in a millstone, Judges chapter 9 Verse 53, God said, I've had enough. A certain woman that was in the tower, the people were hiding. They're about to be burned in Thebes. She threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head, crushed his skull, and that was it for Abimelech. He was dying at the base of this tower. And to keep the community in the paper, if you will, from hearing the shame that he was Murdered by a woman. He has his armor bearer run him through. I was reading the story this week. Like, ha, Abimelech. We're reading it, dude. <laughs> you don't get out of that shame. It's, it's part of your history. And, and I just think about the wickedness of this chapter. Not God, what do you want us to walk away with? at The spiral depravity of this chapter. And this was it. God is repaying wickedness in their decisions. Look at verses 56 and 57. He repaid the wickedness of Abimelech because he killed his brothers in 57. And he's also returning to Shechem, the wickedness on their heads and the curse of Jotham on his father Jeruboah, which is Gideon, was upon them. It's this simple, church family. They didn't choose God. You have a choice this week to choose God. Well, because he's God. You're bombarded with a lot of other choices and a lot of distractions. Choose God in a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Someone in here today says, But I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never confessed and repented and believed. I'm just kind of checking the church out. Well, this is the only choice you need to be thinking about. Listen to me real carefully. If you deny Jesus today and you feel like Him calling you to salvation, you, re- you heard it in a song and now you're hearing it from the preacher. He died on the cross in your place. He rose from the dead. So if you repent and believe, you could be forgiven and have salvation and help making decisions your whole life long. If you deny that today, here's the choice that you're making, just so we're real clear. You're making the choice to stand before God on your own and your own righteousness. That's a bad choice because God's wrath is not only on you now, it'll remain on you then and it'll remain with you in punishment in a place called hell for all of eternity. That's the choice you're making in rejecting Christ. So the call today is to choose God by believing in Christ for the believer and the unbeliever alike. And if you're not a follower of Christ today, I want you to think about that word, believe. We've reduced and watered down the meaning of that word and we've reduced it to basically mean fire insurance. Well, you're like, Pastor, what do you mean by just having a fire insurance? Well, there's a lot of people here, maybe right now, that say, yeah, I have faith in Jesus, but I- I'm not real convinced he's God. Yeah, I, have, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not completely convinced that he's the God of the universe, the Savior of my sin, and I'm not really sure that I want him to be the Lord of my life. But just in case he is, I'll, I'll believe in him. I'll, I'll go into these baptismal waters. That kind of belief, that kind of faith has never saved anyone in world history. If that's the kind of belief you have today, you have no faith at all you're still making the choice for God's wrath to remain on you. When you look at the scriptures and you see the word belief or faith, it produces two things every time. Love for God, which equates to love for others, and obedience. That's what Jesus says. We'll finish with these two verses. He says in John 8, talking to those who have believed in him, verse 31, he says, If you continue in my word, then I know you believe, and you're in my disciples. John 14, 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He'll be loved by my father and I will love him and I will show myself to him. True faith shows itself in love and works for the glory of God. What choice will you make today? Knowing that that choice has lasting consequences. We hope that you have enjoyed this sermon audio from Coggan Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about us or know what it means to follow Jesus, visit us online at www.coginchurch.org.